0: Welcome to Godpod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible in fact, just about everything. Well, welcome to Godpod 66 which is a very large number. We've been doing this for a long time and uh, we reached 66. I don't know ever, whether we'll ever reach 666.
1: That would be rather fun, wouldn't it? It rather ominous if we do. I it hope must. it
2: might be
0: our successors by then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if you've
0: listened to all of them, well done. This is quite a marathon effort, but uh, you may not have listened to all of them. But anyway, hopefully you've uh, um, you found this one. And, um, well, it's, uh, I want you just to read one thing that came through from one of our um, listeners. This was a, an email that came through from uh, someone in Kerala in India. And the PS, it was the PS that sort of grabbed my attention. It said, bring Mike Lloyd back. Here, yeah, yeah. here. Where is he, <laughs> by the way? Please don't get me wrong. I mean, you guys are cool too. But somehow it seems odd when you three are not together. Um, well, the good news is that Mike Lloyd is here.
1: Uh, he is indeed. Yes, i uh, have um, just being a bit of a lightweight. I'm, afraid. I'm only working one day a week at the moment, so I don't always get in for Godpod. But but I'm still very much around. So you should stay in bed for the other six days. Yes, not I was going to say only working one day. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> not. No, I. Um, you have another uh, job. I have another job. I'm yeah. a chaplain of Queen's College in Oxford, and um, that keeps me vaguely busy.
2: But it is true that it, it isn't right with just without Mike. So we are very glad to have you back. Well, yeah. Jane then has
1: nobody to disagree with.
2: Exactly. And there's not
1: nearly so much fun. Yeah. Is but yeah, Ke- exactly. Kerala is, 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 is where you were born, Jane. It is. So
2: hello, Kerala. Thank you for e- um, emailing us. And oh, thank you right. for
1: your very nice food, which I enjoy whenever I go to stay with my uncle, where there's a Kerala restaurant. Well, in Kerala? No, in uh, Malmesbury. <laughs> <laughs> Marsbury, that well-known region of Kerala. Indeed.
2: There used not to be many South Indian restaurants in in England. It used to be all North Indian cookery, but it is actually beginning...
1: And it's absolutely delicious.
2: I'm
0: very fond of it. Excellent. Well, um, as you can hear from the banter so far, there are the normal three of us, uh, Graham Tomlin here, uh, Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams. Yes. And uh, we're here for GodPod 66. And... um, we've got uh, a good lot of emails that have come through with lots of interesting questions, and we're going to try and have a go at some of those today. As opposed to
2: just talking about food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we could talk about food the whole time if we wanted to. but um, Well, the first one we uh, wanted to have a go at was one that came through from something called James in Birmingham, which had a, uh, a number of questions in it, but the one that grabbed our attention was this one that um, went like this. Uh, it was a question about the story in the book of genesis about the garden of eden and uh, it talks about how um well the question is the apple has bothered me for a while because it isn't really an apple but it's the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Uh, what is so bad therefore about knowing about good and evil that god keeps us from it is it the case that we now know about good and evil, desire to encourage good and punish evil, but we're spectacularly bad at it? This has alienated us from God and from each other and so on. So that's the question. And I suppose it's one that many readers or listeners might have um, asked from time to time when they read that, that story, when it talks about the, the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, what's so bad about knowing good and evil? Isn't it a good thing that we're able to know these things and discriminate between them and so on? Uh, is God trying to keep us from a knowledge of the world, keep us sort of somehow um, ignorant of uh, the true nature of things? So um, that's our question.
1: And before we get on to answering it, um, <clears throat> I think it's just worth pointing out uh, what it says, that, that, that this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not an oak tree. It's not an elderberry tree. It's, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, so it's flagging up that it's a symbol it's flagging up this. this is symbolic language. Uh, it be, I, I don't quite because know... Because there
2: is no such thing as a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, I, I, it, it's, it's almost saying, hello, I'm yep. a symbol. I stand for yep. the knowledge of good and evil, whatever that may be. And we'll come to that in a minute. But the first thing I want to notice is that, mm. like, like the tree of life, like the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, it's flagging up the fact that this is some symbolic language. No, it's a symbolic of something, mm. and we need to come on to discuss that in a minute. But at the moment... Um, it's saying, please don't take me literally.
0: Hmm. Well, there is some, it's interesting, isn't it, how it says that there is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there are actually two trees that are talked about in the story. I don't know whether that's significant.
1: There are other trees talked about as well, but um, yeah. that they are allowed to eat from. And... Yeah, exactly. But
0: the idea that there is a, there's not just one tree we're talking about yes. here, we're yes. talking about two symbolic trees, mm-hmm. tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anyway, we don't want to interrupt you, Mike. we well, are no, on I a roll, so we'll, um, <laughs> we'll uh, let you carry
1: on. Well, and I think it is, it is significant that there are two trees, um, because the tree of life they're allowed to eat from. God, God wants life for people. Uh, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil, I mean, there's a huge amount of ink have been spilled over what this is symbolic of. The, the, the line I take, what I think, is that uh, it stands for um, making a grab for moral autonomy... That the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a way of saying, I'm going to decide for myself what's right and what's wrong. I'm not going to uh, refer to anybody or differ to anybody in that process. I'm not going to let anything or anyone, not even God, tell me what's good and what isn't. Uh, I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to be the center of my own moral universe. and And that is a destructive thing. It's not that God's trying to keep us from... Um, anything good or from knowledge he's trying to stop us from making a grab for moral autonomy and being the center of our own, own moral world
2: at this point in the story um uh, adam doesn't know what <coughs> good and evil are he only knows god and the good garden that he's in well,
0: he knows good presumably.
2: so he knows but he doesn't know it's good because it doesn't have an opposite he knows it's how the world is uh, and maybe he knows it's to be rejoiced in, um, but is good automatically a word that requires mm. a, an opposite for you to, to know it? Um, so, so I think I would want to argue to, that, l- like Mike, but I suspect Mike isn't going to agree with where I'm going to take this. Adam <laughs> um, <Soldom laughs> does. <laughs> um, that it is about human beings choosing, uh, choosing something that isn't God. Um, at that stage in the story, all that Adam knows is God and the world as God has made it. Uh, he doesn't know the possibility of anything that isn't what God chooses, um, and that's what's being offered. Yeah.
0: I mean, it, it seems to me, I, I'm not sure I'd want to say that somehow evil is necessary for us to know good, because it strikes me that evil is, by its very nature, not necessary. It's mm-hmm. contingent, it's yes. not necessary, it's not something that has to exist. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, do we have to know the contrast to know the kind of the brightness of evil? You know, we only know that with the shadows of the, the brightness of good. We only know that because of the shadows of uh, of evil. Or is it the case that actually um, we can know goodness, we can know God, uh, without the presence of evil? And actually, what we have here in the in the, in the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is human beings, if you like, activating the potentiality of evil within the world that God has made, which until this point has not been activated. Right. It's there as a potential, the possibility that we might choose something other than God, but until this point it has not been cho- been, been activated because all that Adam knows is, is God. And, and I guess we, we kind of have to... I think we have to say that, that that's... You know, it was not necessary that evil entered into what was sort of activated and entered into human experience and within the world. Just as we can say that in the you know, at the end of the story, there will be this not so much a return, but a, uh, a partly return, but also a sort of much greater development from where we are now, where we will know goodness and
1: evil will not be present. I, I think that I think that's right. And I think we don't need to know evil in any personal way in order to know good. It, precisely because evil actually disrupts your whole knowing process, mm. your whole, whole knowing facility. Mm. It stops you from knowing anything properly. Yeah. It doesn't help you to know anything. It twists your it mind just, and your yeah, desires. Yeah. And
2: yes, and I don't think I wanted... I, that wasn't quite what I am, was meaning to imply by saying that you don't know good if you don't know evil. But just at that point in the story, there is no choice mm. Because there is only the good, good world that mm-hmm. God has made, and the relationship with God. No. So I think the symbol, uh, that the, the, the thing that this tree symbolises, is human choice, isn't it? One of the things that that symbolises. What else does it symbolise, Mike? You're looking <laughs> yeah. uncertain.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, well, I, no, I think I think it does uh, symbolise choice, but, um, but I, I think the, the particular fo- for me, the particular focus of that choice, is who is to deci- who is to say what's right and what's wrong. Um, and I think we know in our own experience that we don't like being told anything. But our perspective is so minuscule in comparison with God's that a reference to his understanding of what is good um, mm. saves us from making many mistake, destructive mistakes.
0: Mm. Well, there's, a, there's a sort of innocence in the story before the, um, the, the choice to, mm. I mean, if we think of it as a symbolic story, the choice to eat the fruit, um, to know both good and evil. Um, Before that, there is a a sort of, in a sense, a a delightful, naive innocence about it, which, um, and I suppose, you know, with our sort of world weariness, we can sometimes say, "Ah, well, it's far better to sort of know both sides and to sort of, you know, to to know the the full story, not just half of it. Um, But I guess that, that often portrays evil as a sort of other kind of knowledge alongside goodness, rather than I think what you've been hinting at already, Mike, which is the idea that, that evil actually is, a, is, 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 a, is an absence of knowledge. It's a, it's a distorting um, effect upon our ability to know anything or our desire for, for, for goodness. And to that extent, it would have been far better if we had not known evil at all, yes. if we had not sort of activated that, you know, that, that possibility of evil. And that um, although it can seem, and I suppose that's always the, the trick, isn't it, that evil can seem quite an attractive, quite a sort of vibrant thing. And, you know, surely we need to know a bit of that, that to be sort of worldly-wise and so on. But we sometimes need to to kind of revise our understanding of what evil is and to kind of unmask it for the kind of ugly and um, depressing and distorting thing that it is. Uh,
1: yes, uh, I always I always find... That fifteenth-century carol that is often sung at Christmas, um, very, I, I kind of inwardly go, no, I don't agree with that. Mm. Um, when it says, you know, uh, blessed be the fruit, fruit uh, blessed be the, 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 a, the, the day the apple taken yeah. was, yeah. Um, yeah. because so much good comes from it, our redemption comes from it. Well, we yeah. even didn't need a redemption in, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in the first place, and actually, it's been its teleology, it's it's where it's leading is mm. is destruction. Um, if you know.
2: And I just think it is actually a really helpful symbol because it's, it's talking about choosing against God, isn't it? As yeah, you say, Mike, yeah. exercising um, a, a human autonomy, which is, which is one of our gifts from God, but exercising it in opposition to God. And then, and, and then what, what goes on, what, what, how the story goes on, is that that disrupts everything yeah. because to choose against God is to choose against reality, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. to choose against how the world really is mm. and its harmonies and its relationship with its creator. Um, and that's the most basic and helpful definition of sin, I think, choosing against God.
0: Mm. I mean, the, the, to go back to your carol, Mike. There's, I mean, there's a similar strand of teaching in that in some sort of forms of Reformed Christianity, which talks about the felix culpa, that's mm. this happy guilt. Um, it's the same idea that somehow, you know, because of human sin um, and because of the redemption that God has has uh, given in, in Christ, uh, arguably we know more about the depths of the love and the grace and the power of God than we would have done without that. And I suppose that's the counter-argument that says that actually knowing now the length to which God will go to to, to redeem us, seeing looking at the cross and the resurrection, uh, we know more about... The depths of God's love, as a result of the whole narrative of fall and redemption and everything else, than we would have done without that.
1: Well, I don't know. I just think uh, you know more about God's love by experiencing it than by distancing yourself from it, and and that's what the fall was. It was a distancing ourselves from it, and and sin always distorts. So I, I actually think it's hard to imagine, but. Mm. Um, our knowledge of God's love would have been greater, not less. Okay, we wouldn't have had the cross, um, but we would have known in a way which perhaps we can hardly imagine now, God's love in a a depth and intensity that we have so far forfeited.
2: Partly because we, as autonomous beings now, put ourselves at the centre of everything. So we put God on the periphery, and that is automatically a distortion of,
1: Hmm. again as you that's see the reality the yes yes yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. thank you well it's a very interesting question good start off yeah. for um today's um god but uh, just to move on to another one um which is um i'm trying to think of a clever link for this one but I'm not sure i can find it <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just go straight into it which is uh, uh, an email from um helen helen pollard not quite sure where she comes from But uh, she says this, A friend of mine has recently expressed an interesting theological viewpoint. He believes that Jesus was not fully God until the transfiguration, because before that in the Gospels he appears to make some mistakes. I can only assume he's talking about the trees walking incident and calling the Gentiles dogs and things like that. I myself don't share this viewpoint, but I'm struggling to come up with a good line of reasoning as to why. The incarnation is such an important part of our faith. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And I'd like to be able to share that with him, but i <coughs> just argue that yes, that's true, but it didn't happen as, at his conception. To me, he's being a bit of a Scrooge and saying, bah, humbug to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> is there any way you can help me out? So uh, that's the question. And uh, I guess it relates to a strand of Christian thinking that was common in some parts of early Christianity, which is known as adoptionism, the idea that Jesus was adopted at the son of, as the Son of God, not... He was born as an ordinary human being, like any of the rest of us, but became the Son of God in a unique way, either at his baptism or at transfiguration or at some point that's identified within his sort of earthly career, if you like. So uh, the question is, um, is that right? Uh, Is it a legitimate Christian position to hold that Jesus became the Son of God at the transfiguration or at his baptism or some other point? Or uh, what do we lose by saying that?
2: I mean, it, 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 I, it, I don't think it is a legitimate Christian position. And I think it, um, in, in its original setting in the early church, uh, it was partly ado- uh, adopted um, <laughs> by people who thought the whole process of birth and childhood and that kind of thing couldn't be revelatory of God.
1: It's Too messy.
2: It was too messy and um, boring. And, uh, you know, and we all know what God does. God knows everything and God... Uh, can do anything.
1: And he, he doesn't grow.
2: Yeah, He doesn't grow and he doesn't waste time on growing all that time, all those years. We know nothing about Jesus's life when he was being an ordinary human being growing in the knowledge and favor of God, as Luke says. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and people then as people now think that that's not how God behaves. Um, and the, the, the sort of um, central Christian tradition has always said, yes, it is how God behaves. God, God's presence with us is God's gift of himself to us and that presence uh, is sometimes uh, perceptible as, as when Jesus performs miracles and so on, but is actually constant and God's self-giving in the life of Jesus in birth and all the way through is is part of the extraordinary thing we say about about God in the light of the Incarnation, that God thinks we are worth that kind of presence.
1: I think the other problem... with adoptionism uh, is that uh, it suggests that you know there's a whole lot of human beings here and God's chosen this one on the basis presumably that he's a particularly good one Um, otherwise why choose this one rather than another and and if Jesus was adopted at his baptism or at his transfiguration or whatever that is kind of a a commendation of his life up to that point point. And that means that everything is actually on the basis of desert, not of grace, basically. Mm. Um, And that, I think, would be incredibly bad news for us because it would say, you know, if you get to be good enough, um, then God will adopt you too. Mm. Whereas if it is actually from the very start, from the very first moment of his conception, God coming amongst us, then that says you'll never be good enough. Uh, but that's not the point. You can, in this person, um, be adopted to and be included into God's family and, and purposes. Yeah.
0: and I, I suppose The other thing is adoptionism is, is often quite closely related to, I guess, another early Christian um, strand of thought, which is Nestorianism, which is the idea that actually Jesus' humanity and divinity are two quite separate principles that exist within his, him and himself. So it's be like Jesus is a kind of split personality who is actually 50% divine and 50% human. And, um, and it was at a position associated with Nestorius, whether he actually held that or there's another question. But, um, and that was decreed as a Christian heresy as, as adoptionism was. But the two in some ways are quite closely related, I think, because adoptionism implies that you've got this quite ordinary human nature, like any of ours, and then somehow added to it is, is a divine nature, which um uh which either sort of just somehow confers some sort of a cloak of blessing upon upon the human Jesus or just adds a divine bit to the human nature and i suppose the the problem with nestorianism has always been that that it it means that that our humanity does not get infused with god's being and um i suppose the reason why nestorianism was was uh, Sort of uh, excluded from Christian orthodoxy, was this idea that it, it, it leaves humanity somehow still separate from God. Mm. That what the Incarnation says is not that Jesus is 50% human, 50% divine. He is 100% human and 100% divine. And um, although that may sound kind of contradictory and paradoxical, uh, actually, Christian faith says that is possible. It is possible to be both. 100% human and 100% divine and we've seen it in in Jesus and that actually that is... humanity and divinity when you look at them ultimately um pure humanity is godlike
1: it was meant to be made in the image mm-hmm. of god and and that, that is part of the good news that mm-hmm. human life can be infused with taken up into um the, the, the yeah. divine that yeah. is that is its being put on a permanent footing that it's being shot yeah. through with glory, yeah.
2: and it's very interesting, isn't it, that the problem the person um, identifies in the email is that Jesus seemed not to know everything, that he mm. seemed to make mistakes, and I think that's a very interesting insight into what we think God is like, and therefore what we think um, divine humanity will be like. It will it will be know all <laughs> humanity, Ooh. whereas actually what what we see in Jesus and and what we hear in in in, in the New Testament is that we know Jesus is. Uh, fully the son of God because he's fully obedient to the father mm. uh, and that's what divine humanity is like it's it's humanity that's fully in line um with the uh, fully related to fully infused with the love of God um, so it 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 is in a sense irrelevant whether Jesus knew everything or not because in everything that he did he did the will of the father
1: referring to to, to, to God in the same way that Adam and Eve didn't. Exactly. To, to t- that's, there's the link So there's the link, you. it's about knowledge. It's slightly yes. related. But, yeah. uh, and the yeah, other, glad the, we got one in the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the actual two examples uh, that the questioner gave um, are quite interesting. that There's the, the healing that Jesus does where the blind person is a two-stage thing mm. and uh, sees men walking around but they're like trees. And mm. um, and the, having a problem with that seems is the same problem, isn't it? Not wanting pro- process, not wanting time, mm. wanting everything to be done instantly. If it's God, it must be done instantly. It mustn't take time. Uh, it mustn't have God involved in the processes of time in some way. Um, whereas I, I think I want to say, it's still God. It's not necessarily a mistake that God takes time over over that process. Um, and personally, I think that the, the reference to the the dogs, is Jesus adopting a particular way of thinking and speaking uh, that was current at the time in order to expose it, in order to get the person to be uncomfortable with it.
0: Uh, the, way, the way the Gospels, and actually the Epistles, actually when you think about it, refer to the transfiguration <coughs> in that particular story is, is much more about the revealing of God, of Jesus' glory rather than the conferring of God's glory upon him. W- what it is, it's somehow the, the veil being drawn back for a moment so that suddenly they are able to see the full divine glory of, uh, of Christ not for a moment hidden within the humanity of Christ, but you know in its sort of naked um, sort of brilliance, and it's as if they can't quite cope with that. and so it's a short short period, but it's actually about the revealing of something that Jesus already has and possesses rather than the conferring of something new upon him.
2: And it's going to lead to the cross, yeah that's the other thing exactly. of course, is yep. that this is a um, the transfigura- transfiguration happens mm-hmm. shortly before the final yeah um, a- and Luke set- says that yep. that's what that Jesus talks about exactly straight and after, after the trans- and the
0: cross being after the transfiguration again shows that you know even if we do go with that idea that Jesus becomes the Son of God at the Transfiguration, you've still got weakness after the Transfiguration, yep. mm-hmm. because you've got cross, you've got Jesus. Um, struggling with his father in the in the Garden of Gethsemane, you haven't got this sort of pure Jesus who knows everything and swans through life quite easily after the transfiguration any more than you have beforehand.
2: And I do think, as Mike says, that's just so important. It means that that's not what we're aiming for. We're not aiming um, for knowing everything and never struggling, uh, having no doubts um being impervious, we're aiming for obedience. We're aiming for being the children of God who under all circumstances want to do what God wants of yeah, us. And we're
0: aiming for a humanity which is as it was always meant to be, infused with the divine image. Yes. yes. And the, where that relationship
2: is. with God is the is the formative thing, the defining yeah. thing. Yeah.
0: So that we don't leave behind our humanity to no. move towards something else. Our humanity it, in itself it, is infused with the divine life as it was in in Christ, and that, of course, is the good news of Christmas the incarnation. Mm. That this is not just Jesus come to save us by some sort of external transaction, it's actually Jesus come to, to restore the divine life to human nature to make it possible for us to not just to know God to, to, but to be restored in His image to have that same divine nature come to dwell within us. And
1: interestingly, it is not Jesus, not just Jesus, who shines at the transfiguration, but Elijah and uh. Moses as well Um, that's what human beings are created Mm. for is to be like stained glass windows with the light behind them shining through revealing their true beauty
2: I I always found it very helpful that the the kind of discussion that comes out of for example um, uh, Wolfhart Pannenberg's book Jesus, God and Man uh, in which he talks about the distinction between Christology from below and Christology from above and Christology from above is that you start um, theoretically from God's point of view and you try and shove God into this small um, earthen vessel, which is which is human beings, and of course that's never going to work, especially if you decide in advance what God is that has to yes. be shoved yes. into this human vessel. And Christology from below is you start with Jesus, and you actually look at what it is that makes us know that Jesus is God, um, and uh, and it is that relationship with the Father that is under all circumstances the thing that defines Jesus, and that gives you a, a different, a completely different, and I would argue distinctively Christian perspective on God. This is how we find out what God is like.
0: Good one. That's a really interesting question, that one. Very interesting. So thank you, um, Helen, for that. And um, we're going to move on to one other question, which, again, I'm struggling to find a link with. (laughs) Michael (laughs) find one. Belatedly, in in retrospect. Which I guess is a more, um, slightly less, uh, maybe slightly less abstract one, but more to do with a, a very practical question, which is really about about Christian healing. And it's from um, someone who asks about, uh, well, it's really the question of how do we hold a kind of tension in Christian life between the reality of suffering and illness, and particularly long-term illness. I mean, the, the questioner is talking about uh, having um, multiple scler- sclerosis for the last five years and having been prayed uh, many, many having prayed many, many times for its removal, and, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, so what is she to do? Is she to give up on that and accept this is the sort of cross that she is to bear, that somehow God has given it to her, and she is to sort of brace it and give thanks for it in some way? Uh, is she to uh, continue praying for its removal and keep on getting disappointed, as often happens when you pray with great expectation and nothing seems to take place? Um how do you hold together the reality of long term illness with a belief in Christian healing? So that's the very real question I guess a lot of people struggle with in the Christian life, people who uh, who, who do have long term illness, and so um
2: And it's such an important question, partly because we we as the Christian community so often do actually make life much worse for people who are suffering this kind of illness by, um, uh, by, by praying in unhelpful kind of ways and by making people f- um, feel that it must be in some sense their fault if they're not being healed, um, or either their fault or the fault of the prayers, that there's something wrong if healing doesn't happen. Uh, and I, I, I would like to say as firmly as I can that um, it is mysterious why healing doesn't always happen, but it isn't sinful.
1: Mm. Mm. Absolutely. I think uh, the other thing I want to say, and not everybody would agree with this, but I, I, I feel it very passionately, is that whatever you do with it, don't make it worse by seeing it as God giving it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, whether as punishment or even as a kind of, you know, this is the cross I have to bear, this is, in um, somehow it's going to be good for me or the world or whatever. I, I, d- I don't think, God does give people suffering. Uh, suffering is in itself a destructive thing. That's what it does. It destroys. It inhibits. It constricts. It frustrates. Um, now, a lot of people have an experience of good coming out of suffering uh, and them learning lessons and, and, and deepening and growing in compassion and and coming close to god and, and that sort of thing but that is i think always the gift of god not the gift of suffering uh, suffering's uh, trajectory is towards destruction if god comes in and changes that then it's him we have to thank not the suffering uh, and 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 i don't belittle that god does frequently in my experience and that of a lot of people come in and and give suffering a different outcome, a different teleology than it intrinsically has um, but that's his doing, that's his grace, it's not that suffering was intrinsically a good thing if we could have seen it
0: Yeah I suppose it's, there is a kind of interesting balance here somewhere isn't there between you know, I suppose it's about miracles in a way isn't it, miracles of, of, of healing if they happen every single time we ask them to happen it's almost Kind of asking God to, or you know, maybe take it out of the healing world for a moment. Just you know, if, if a miracle happens every time we ask it to happen, we're almost asking God to somehow suspend the way in which things.
2: We're treating God like a press button. You know, and we put yeah. the money in and we expect the yeah. <laughs> exactly, put the prayer right. in, and out comes.
0: And in a sense, you know, we're we're asking God to do what exactly what we want to do, and so it seems to me it's it's. it's, it's it's not surprising that God doesn't always answer every single prayer that we we utter. Partly because sometimes we ask for the wrong things. Um, partly because this is not our our world to control. At
1: the same time, it's um, but, uh, can I add? Partly yeah. because um, what God wants to do is is opposed. Yeah. Um, both by human beings and I would say by other dark dark forces. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. But yes, on the other hand, I think I also want to say that a, a God who never intervenes or a God who never, if you like, steps in to, to, to change the natural course of events within a fallen world would be a God who would, in a sense, you, you, you kind of conclude that he doesn't really care about us or the world. And so in a, in a way, I suppose the idea of a God who kind of allows the world to go Along the structures in which he is, which 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 has been built into the world in creation, and doesn't interrupt them all the time um, at our whim, but also a God who does from time to time uh, do something miraculous that points us to His grace and mercy and, uh, and love makes some kind of sense to me, because. Um, either extreme a God who intervenes all the time whenever we ask doesn't seem to make a lot of sense a God who never intervenes doesn't seem to make any sense either and and I suppose I go back often to the the um the language that John's gospel uses about miracles which which says they are signs in other words the, the significance is not in themselves it's what they point to and it seems to me that is true of any healing the significance is not within the act of healing itself because in a sense all healing ultimately is defeated by by death you know, we pray for healing, we might it's get a temporary, for a while. It's a temporary thing. But ultimately all of us are going to die, and ultimately the prayers for healing don't get answered because every single one of us dies. In other words, the significance of it is not in itself, it's what it points to. It points to the grace of God, it points to resurrection, it points to something other than itself.
1: And the putting right of all things. Yeah.
2: But for this person, or any other person suffering long-term debilitating illness, this is all quite abstract, isn't it? Um and while we may know that theoretically, mm. what we long for for the people that we love is that they will be the occasion for God to, to, yeah, exactly. to intervene. So, I mean, I think, I, I I don't know if this is at all a fair thing to say because I am not suffering from long-term debilitating illness, but I think you have to go on praying um, in the hope and expectation that God longs to heal and at the same time look for what other gifts God can bring to fruition out of this situation of um, distortion and, and imperfection. Um, and and, and I, I don't know what that feels like psychologically, both to uh, expect healing and to thank God for what comes out of a situation that isn't changing.
1: Yes, I agree with that entirely. I, I, I think, I don't know, I'm just slightly uncomfortable with the idea that God sometimes doesn't heal because that would devalue value the currency and they don't want to do it too often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I want to say that um, God always wants to heal because he wants what's good for us and, 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 and healing is good for us. And he doesn't always get his way, like everything else in this world. God doesn't always get his way. I, I, I think otherwise one ends up saying that God is saying, well, you know, I, I'd like to heal you, but um, otherwise it will... It'll kind of debase the currency, and, and the other thing is, I think is, I don't think he wants to keep the structures going, uh, because they're fallen structures and they're destructive structures. I think he wants to heal the structures. I think he wants to create a world in which um, the old structures are transformed, so that they no longer have death built into them and, and struggle and conflict built into them. And I, that's why I think the miracles are not exceptions. To the general rules, and he has to keep the general rules going. They're actually the breaking in of new and new structures, um, and new rules, and that this is what he wants to bring into Asher in, in. And
2: yeah. we don't actually know um, how prayer works. Uh, there is a, a, a completely um, inalienable strangeness about prayer, mysteriousness about prayer. Uh, and again, we're always trying to turn it into something that we do uh, and look for our results uh, as opposed to seeing it as a new kind of structure, uh, a new set of rules that is beginning gradually to transform the world. And I, I, I do believe that every time Christians pray, something happens. It may not be the thing that we think we're praying for or indeed are praying for, but something inevitably will happen when um two or three are gathered together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and therefore, I i just think you have to go on praying. You have to go on praying under all circumstances and looking for the blessing that will come, whatever it is. Mm. Uh, and it may not be the fullness that God longs to give, but it will be something. There will be something because God is present in that prayer.
0: Do you think there ever can come a point where it's right to stop praying for healing of a, a debilitating illness which gets to a point where you begin to think maybe it's not right to carry on praying for healing.
1: I think when one is close to somebody who is suffering, one might get to the point of thinking, actually my continuing to pray with them or whatever (laughs) for healing is actually getting in the way of what I can see God is doing in terms of preparing them. Mm. Um, for whatever lies ahead Um, uh, so I think yes if you see it being destructive pastorally either to somebody else or to yourself then maybe that's the time to to consider Mm. not doing it but that but I still don't think one comes to terms or makes one's peace with suffering or death
2: Mm. and I also don't very much believe in trying to be dishonest to god Mm. (laughs) because god does know what we're actually thinking if what we long for Mm. is healing then we have to tell god what we long for Uh, and and i take mike's point you might not always do that in the presence of the person um who's longing for healing if it isn't helpful for them um but but we see jesus in gethsemane saying to god i don't want to do this Mm. please don't make me do this um about the cross and and um uh, and that, that's part of the honesty of the relationship between Jesus and God. He knows he's got to, um, but he's not pretending to God that he's happy about <laughs> it.
0: Um, I mean, to go back Mike, to your your point about um, God's will sometimes being opposed, mm-hmm. and that there may be dark forces that are opposing the will of God and who want destruction and despair and everything else, um, I guess that that implies that part of the way in which we engage in that conflict is through prayer
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that um, yes. somehow prayer yes. enables Absolutely. God to win that battle if you yeah. like yes. Yes. Um, but I suppose one danger of that way of thinking might be that you start getting thinking well and somehow the more I pray the more I'm likely to be healed mm-hmm. and then you get back into this slightly more sort of slot machine type thing if mm-hmm. the more money I put into the machine the more Um, sweets I get out of it prayer then becomes a kind of slightly mechanical thing that somehow the more I pray the more likely the answer is going to come but that doesn't always seem to work
1: in quite that way. I I agree there's a danger there but then I think there's also danger in in not taking into account the the, the opposition forces that um, if if I'm praying it's not answered, it's because I'm not good enough or um, because because God doesn't want it or doesn't love Mm. me or whatever. It does at least add other um, agents into the equation um, so that it's not all down to my lack of goodness or my lack of prayer or or whatever it might be.
2: Because again, we're just putting ourselves at the centre. Of course, we we are. and, And... and I'm not saying that we can stop doing that, but but if that prayer is part of a wider web of what God is doing, if it's a prayer for the coming kingdom of God um, in which there will be no suffering um, and there won't be that kind of illness, then even if all we're doing is a very, very tiny victory in that struggle and it doesn't benefit us personally, it is important to know that it's still part of that, that that's what we're praying for. We're praying for the kingdom of God.
0: And if prayer is a, a kind of aligning of our wills with the will of God, I can see a, a sense in which the more people pray, mm-hmm. the more people's wills are aligned with the will of God. In a sense, the more freedom God has to mm. to work within a world where his will is opposed not just by dark forces, but by ourselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. but by, by human beings who, yes. who, who choose to to, to, um, to go in a very different direction from where...
2: Choose the knowledge of the... The, the fruit That's of the good. knowledge That's the link excellent
0: good well done, <laughs> well done. good well um, fascinating discussion we could go on about that for yeah. quite a long time that whole question but it's uh, obviously a very um, raises some really interesting theological issues but also some very strong personal ones uh, and pastoral ones uh, too so uh, well I think we've got to the end of uh, God Pod 66 and um, thank you to Mike it's a pleasure thank you to Jane likewise and uh, please. Thank keep... you
2: to Graham. <laughs> yeah,
0: I can't <laughs> do <any> it. <things. laughs> do please keep um, the questions coming in. And uh, if you have any questions about theology, God, the Bible, please do send them through to. Um, you know, what, is our, what is our website? What is our, our email address? To question, not a um, clue, <laughs> I mean,
1: but keep I'm sending, no, sending them, them in anyway. Them anyway. <laughs> You'll find it on the website, <laughs> <laughs> we
0: ought to know really thorough ignorance being shown there. Um, but uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed Godpod 66, and we'll be back soon.
2: That was Godpod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.